Welcome to the Tailoring Talk Show with me, Roberto Revilla. By day, I solve clothing problems as the owner of Roberto Revilla London Bespoke Tailors. By night, I'm the host of this podcast, which is now listened to on every continent on this planet. Each episode, I talk to creators and entrepreneurs about their journey on the road to success, the highs and lows, and the lessons learned along the way. My guest this week is no exception. And when thinking about how to introduce him, this quote kept repeating in my mind. Two little mice fell in a bucket of cream. The first mouse quickly gave up and drowned. The second mouse would not quit. He struggled so hard that eventually he churned that cream into butter and crawled right out. Ladies and gentlemen, I am so pleased to introduce that second mouse, a commercial video director and creator for the last 20 years, founder of the Umalt Video Marketing Agency and author of Death to the Corporate Video, a modern approach that works. All the way from the windy city that is Chicago, Guy Bauer, how are you, my friend? Hey, Bob. Nice to... That was a great intro. And I love... Catch me if you can, right? That's it. Yep, I knew you'd get it. When I heard your story, and, uh, you know, I always think of a, of a nice, interesting intro for all my guests, but... I literally, the second I heard your story, that scene with Christopher Walken giving that speech at that dinner party or whatever, uh, just kept going through my head over and over again. And uh, yeah, we'll we'll get into all of that very shortly. But anyway, how are you? How's uh, how are things over over in Chicago? Good, actually. Uh... Today is one of those perfect weather days. I don't know what it is in Celsius, but it's it's uh, like a perfect 70 degrees. It's perfect. So, like, yeah. it's just one of those few days you get. Um, other than that, yeah, I have no complaints. Good. I never do. <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining me. Um, did I pronounce the name of your agency correctly? Yeah, you got it right. <laughs> Umalt. It's such an interesting name, but I mean, where does it come from? Because I can't think, of, I don't think I've ever heard that word in my entire life. Well, it's, yeah, it's totally made up word. It's a play on umlaut, the, the German, those two dots. And um, looking back, I think Umalt is uh, not really the best of uh brand names it nobody can pronounce it right no one can spell it right so i have to spell it out so yeah that's probably not the best brand name but you know it they would say like uh you know pick a brand that's empty and then you fill it with your brand you create the meaning so yeah yeah but um umalt is a play on umlaut those two dots and an umlaut changes the way you pronounce a word, right? It 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 makes you kind of rethink what the word is. Without the umlaut, it would it wouldn't be pronounced the same. Yeah. So umalt is kind of the same thing. So we want to change the way you see um, our clients' businesses. Most of our clients are in B two B. They do complex stuff like supply chain or AI or whatever, and they're used to getting. Or um, they typically make those kind of corporate boring videos. And so, um, yeah, our mission is to change the way you see them. Yeah, absolutely. I Have you um, 
Were you always into video from a very young age, like picking up a camera and seeing things in a very filmic style? Because having seen some of the corporate videos that you've produced, they're incredible, man. Like you guys are just killing it with the quality of work. It's all, I mean, it's, you know, for all intents and purposes, it could have been shot at Pinewood Studios or somewhere. It's just like the amount of, the level of creativity and ingenuity and originality is just off the hook. Like, I'm such a huge fan. Sorry, anyway, I, I do this a lot. I'll ask a question and then I'll go on and on and on for a bit. And then I have to remember what question I asked. So yeah, so going back to young guy, when you were a little child, were you always picking up, I don't know, your parents' camcorders or whatever and go around and shooting stuff? Yeah, so... My uh, first video was done in the seventh grade. Um, we had to make like some kind of project for Ricky Ticky Tavi. So other kids made dioramas or whatever they made, b poster boards and stuff. And my dad had this big VHS camcorder. And I was like, yeah, maybe I'll make a video. Um, so me and my friends went in our, my backyard and we got some toys, like a, uh, a toy snake and like a rabbit I had or whatever. And we just threw them around in my backyard. It made no sense, but we had to cut it live in the camera, you know, like here, press record, roll that thing. Now press record, roll that thing. But the thing, the piece de resistance was, um, my dad's camcorder had this feature where you could overdub music. So this is like the mid nineties, early nineties. Yeah. And, yeah. um, but what we did was we took the video and then put music and it was, uh, James Bond on her majesty's Royal service. And we put <laughs> music on top of it. And when I played it in my class, I mean, I was Spielberg. It was like it, to my class, like they're, they, their heads exploded. This was a yeah. technological achievement like none other that they've ever seen. <laughs> and essentially, I've been hooked on that feeling of like, it's that magic trick feeling. It's that feeling of amazement. It's the same feeling I get when I, yeah, like I show a magic trick to my kids and their minds just can't comprehend what's happening. And, and they're so entertained and you can tell a memory is being made. That feeling of giving people that feeling, that feeling I get of giving people that feeling, that's what I'm addicted to. Yeah. And how did you, so how did you go from there? Do you know what, while you were describing that, I was just thinking, I can't remember the name of the movie, but there was a movie that came out a while ago, maybe about 15, 15 years ago, with Mo's death. And I think it might have been Jack Black. But they basically... Um, I think they're like two video store employees at like a blockbuster or something. You know the film I'm talking about? And they basically just, they erase all the tapes. And so, yeah, exactly. That's it. Yeah. Um, you know, in a very similar way, because that was all VHS as well. I'm going to have to do a bonus episode after this one to explain to our younger listeners what VHS is. Um I mentioned Laurel and Hardy to uh, someone who is only 22 years old today. And they just looked at me like I, they had no idea what the hell I was talking about. Um, so yeah, that's just making me feel extremely old. <laughs>
Well, to be fair, I mean, I don't think you were even alive when Laurel and Hardy were a thing. So, I mean, it doesn't, to me, it's ages and, and your appreciation of the past is not, is not a reflection of how old or young you are. It's just how learned you are. To me, I know Laurel, you know, and who my favorite band is Pink Floyd and my favorite co- comedy is, is Monty Python. They both hit their prime years before I was even born, you know, like, so to me, I I don't think the 22 year old, like the fact that they're uneducated or unlearned about the past is not, is not a reflection of how old we are. It's just that I guess they don't care or they don't pay attention, but yeah, I mean, to not know who Laurel, Laurel and Hardy is, is uh, kind of ridiculous. Yeah, that's right. Uh, Anyway, I'll have to buy him a DVD or something. Um, sorry. And anyway, back to, back to the reason we're here, which is you. Um, so, uh, how did you end up in corporate commercial type videography as opposed to becoming the next Steven Spielberg? So, um, that was my first video in the seventh grade. And then I, uh, started to, uh, when I was in the mid nineties, to me, that's when I think Super Bowl commercials hit their, apex or that's when they started really becoming events so i remember just being so amazed at super bowl commercials so that's where my mind started going towards advertising so anytime a school project came up and i made a video it was always under the um the framework of a commercial of a tv commercial um but Actually, I went to Purdue University. I got a full-ride Navy ROTC mm-hmm. scholarship for aerospace engineering. Um, I actually wow. wanted to be a naval aviator. And um, when I got to Purdue, I was just making videos, though. Like, I, 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 was, I was skipping my engineering classes and just making videos. And this is 1999, so there was no YouTube but my videos were actually going viral on in all the dorms because people were burning them to disk and then putting them on the intranets. So they were burning them to like uh, either a CDI or um, DVD. Yeah, exactly, CDRs. And um, CDR, and so when I was it. walking, <laughs> yeah, when I was walking through Purdue with my Navy uniform, people were like, "Hey, you're the vacation guy," or whatever video that. Um, so I just kind of got this feeling that I think, uh, you know, um, making stuff and particularly comedy was what I wanted to do. So I dropped out of Purdue, uh, got an internship, um, with a couple comedy central shows, crank anchors and man show. And, um, and so my career kind of diverted towards more of being a production assistant and a researcher and a producer, but video was now my hobby. So in the 2000s, um, video was my hobby. I eventually landed on a morning radio show here in Chicago as the executive producer. And, um, and then we all got laid off in 2009, Thanksgiving, 2009. And, um, it was the recession. It was awful. So I put out 150 resumes. I didn't go, I didn't even get one interview. I got no interviews. And so I started, kind of panicking. Uh, I remember Clear's Day in January 2010, there's this issue of Money Magazine, and on the front cover, it's how to make money in 2010. And I was like, yeah, I need that. (laughs) 
And there was this article in there that said basically, hey, if you have a hobby or a talent, um, you can go on these freelance sites, guru.com and elance.com, and you can actually make some money uh, on your talent. So I, uh, I went on Guru and I made a profile and I kept applying to jobs. I applied to $1,000 jobs, didn't get any. I didn't have any portfolio. I had nothing. Uh, I just had a bunch of goofy videos I did with my friends, which aren't professional. No one's going to pay me for them. Anyway, so went down 500, 400, 300. Finally, I got a project for 50 bucks to edit this guy's puppy video. So, uh, edited the video to music. He wrote me a five star review. You know, like, guy is very professional and. Then I used that to get a $100 job and a $200 job and a $300 job. And all the while, I would book a $300 job to convert someone's tapes to DVD or whatever. And I'd have to buy a yeah. $300 camera to do so. So I was I was not controlling costs or any kind of accounting. I was on the back of an envelope, literally. and um, And so that's kind of where my business was started. It was just to really, it was actually meant to subsidize me between finding a job between, you know, getting laid off in 2009 and finding yeah. another job. But somehow it just kept like going and going and going. I remember finally in 2012, I was so busy. Uh, I remember clear as day, I was taking a shower. I was so overwhelmed with the amount of work that I started crying. Um, and, and I was like, all right, I guess I'm going to hire someone. And that's where, I think officially, I was like, okay, I think this is a business. It takes me back to when I when I first started as well. I mean, I I was working for a larger company when the um, when that recession hit, the sort of two thousand eight two thousand nine credit crunch thing. I didn't even really know it was going on. I just knew that you know things were a little bit tougher and it was harder to get you know book appointments and so on. And I'm you know I, I would go into the appointments that I had and you know, be selling clothing and so on. And clients would be like, you know, do you not know there's a credit crunch at the moment? And I was just like, what is that, a cereal or something? <laughs> um, but, you know, it, it was kind of a tough time. And then I, I basically left eventually and uh, for various reasons and, um, and then started my own business and kind of haven't looked back since. But, I mean, you... You, that then took you on a sort of trajectory, right? I mean, a really steep learning curve. Um, and then eventually the kind of train sort of came off the rails. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, hired my first employee in 2012 and I made every dumb classic manager business owner mistake. And I was trying not to. I was reading books, E-Myth, and I was reading John Wooden, Leadership. I was reading, 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 mm -hmm. reading. And so I was trying to be, you know, prudent about all these things. But just, you know, you can read all you want. Business is, uh, there's, it's, there's only one way to do it, and that's to do it. Because you can read till you're blue in the face. It's just, there's no substitute for doing it. So my first hire, uh, she was great. I hired her as an editor. She was great. But I didn't understand. I was like, well, why can't you answer the phone, too? And why can't you um, write scripts, too? And why can't – and and eventually I didn't – you know, I didn't understand roles and responsibilities. I started, you know, 
just making it her do everything. And, and then I would get mad that she's not so great at everything, right? Um, yeah. So basically, I just kept on this, like, I would hire and have unclear job descriptions. And then I didn't know how to manage my own. I'm very passionate. Passion when everything's going great is great. I'm a fun guy to be around. We're having pizza parties and going out and having a great yeah. time. A passionate person when things aren't going so well, watch out because it's the exact opposite. So I didn't know how to manage. Yeah. <laughs> I have exa I'm exactly the same. If my wife was here, she would tell you that in business, she she's one of my number one. Well, she is my number one fan and I'm great at it. But when it comes to working with me and especially when things are going wrong, I am horrible. And I don't mind admitting that publicly. Yeah. I mean, like, and I know, like, they're like, well, just because you're self-aware doesn't get you off the hook of being an a-hole. But, um, you know, I, all I could say is it is a lifelong, um, it's a lifelong uh, dream of mine to eventually get to become a great manager. Um, I think management, doing it well uh, is is the holy grail of running a business. And that's why those big companies have scaled because they figured it out. They hired good managers and they got it done. Um, but essentially, uh, that's not the way this story goes. The way this story goes is uh, hired, mismanaged, um, no financial accounting standards. I mean, meaning like we didn't, um, we accounted, right? And we paid our taxes and stuff, but like we didn't have financial visibility in terms of like, if you asked me what's cost accounting or what are your, what's your gross margins? I would just probably just look at you. Yeah. So if I, if I, you know, uh, I think the equivalent you have over there is Shark Tank. We have Dragon's Den. You know, if I was a dragon or a shark and I put you on the spot and I'd ask you what your current reality is, you'd be like, what? <laughs> right? Well, the thing is, I thought I did, but I was speaking all in top line. So I'd go, well, this year we did $1.8 million. We made $1.8 million. And I was leaving out. I didn't realize that there were costs and like, that's not the most important number. So... <laughs> I kept going that managing by the top line. I would manage by our bank account. I would just log in and go like, oh, we have money in there. Let's buy something. And then if there's no money in there, like, oh, crap, let's cut something. And just extremely <laughs> just chaotic uh, is the best word. Yeah, just back and forth, back and forth. And how my ba bank account balance, how the company's bank account balance at the start of the day was my attitude. You know, so if it was good, I was in a great mood. It just... Cuckoo is the best word I can describe it. So imagine now I, and we keep growing because uh, I keep getting better as a artist and we are hiring great yep. people and we just keep growing and growing and growing. And then from that $50 video in 2010 to 2018 in 2018, we did $3.5 million top line in wow. 2018. We made it. We made it to number 800 on the fortune 5,000. Um, and that very same year, I lost a million dollars. So at the same year, we for, reached the Fortune 5000, 3.5 yeah. million top line. We had 32 full-timers. We had this big office. 
And people would come in and be like, wow, whoa. Like we had this huge equipment room. We had a million dollars worth of equipment. And that very same year that all those impressive things, we went on a cruise, took the whole company on a cruise, on a five-day um, Bahamas cruise. That very same year, we lost a million dollars. And that's when the all of my, like, eh, I'll learn accounting next year, or that's boring the way you accrue that, or like depreciation, that's imaginary. And all those kind of things that I would poo-poo or like thought were boring or I'll learn next year, all of those boring things came back to bite me severely in the behind to the tune of a million dollars. So we, I mean, it was literally like we were two weeks away from bankruptcy. Personally, you know, I brought in a consultant. His name is David C. Baker. I credit him for turning for leading the idea of turning us around um and he was like you should see a lawyer about bankruptcy like that's probably your next best move and uh so we were that close and we had to do two very painful rounds of layoffs obviously once the layoffs happened the culture was just i mean it was like people were going to a morgue every day uh people were uh leaving um, and it was, uh, it, for a year, it was really sad and just awful. Yeah. Well, I mean, you think about that, you think about that contrast where, you know, you guys are living it up. You've, you've, you know, you've got into the fortune 5,000 and you're way up there. Top 20%. Uh, unless my math is absolutely atrocious, which usually it is top, whatever, um, you know, company cruises, I mean, you know, you're working hard, you're obviously playing reasonably hard as well. And then all of a sudden to, you know, suddenly have this reality shoved in your face that, okay, look, you know, things aren't actually that great because you've been swimming up here, but underneath the sharks have been kind of circling around and now you're going to start drowning. I mean, it must have just been awful. I can't even begin to imagine what that must have felt like for you as business owner, you know, the person who, the, you know, for want of a better expression, the buck stopped with you. Um, so I, I can't even imagine the, the strain that that put on you personally on, you know, your mental health, physical well-being and, and so on and so forth, and also family as well. Yeah, and and actually, uh, sorry, I probably misspoke. It wasn't the Fortune five thousand we got on; it was the Inc five thousand. So I just want to clarify that Inc five thousand. But um, okay. and this is where I'm, this is where I think I, I, I have to Google that. Yeah, it's like <laughs> Inc magazine. It's not as prestigious as Fortune. Oh. And to be clear, all no, these things were trapping. Well. But you know what? You pay to be on the list, so they charge you 200 bucks to get on the list. And they don't evaluate your profitability. They they just look at your top line. And so I'm like, who right. cares? And I thought it was so ironic that the year I finally made the list that for eight years I was looking, oh, one day I'm going to make this list. I made it, and it was the very same year I lost a million dollars because it taught me everything. It taught me about... Americans and I don't, I'm sure this is worldwide, but our obsession with growth, our obsession with scaling, 
our obsession with this top-line BS of what's your headcount and determining your worth based on headcount and all that stuff is a bunch of BS. And that's where I got smacked in the face with that lesson. Going back to your question, like, how did it feel? Yes. See, the thing is, is it felt bad, but I'm an entrepreneur. I know I am because you know what my feelings were driving back from the office? I'd be like, oh, God, oh, oh man, how are we going to do this? But I'd be like, you know what? Let's do this. You can do this. Entrepreneurs are maybe to the point of insanity, but I think we're optimists because if you were to write down all the risks you're going to opt into by starting a business, someone in their right mind, anyone in their right mind would say no to that. There's too much risk. You know how much risk and for what? I mean, like the odds of it turning out okay are so low. They're so low. But I think the entrepreneur is the one that's like, we were the kids. I was always the kid that just wanted to start stuff and no one ever would ever play with me because they're like, eh, you annoy us. Like you're always trying to organize things. And, <laughs> and to me, I'm always the one that's like, I, I always want to just, I, I, I believe maybe falsely or stupidly, but I believe that everything is going to be okay. And I also had to have a talk with myself of like, all right, guy, what's the worst that's going to happen here? All right, guy, the worst that's going to happen is you're going to declare bankruptcy. They may take your house because the, I had a line of credit with a personal guarantee on the bank. So the house was at risk. Um, and uh, you'll lose the business. Everyone will think, you know, you failed. They'll see that you stink at this. And, um, and that's it. And they're not going to come over and kill you. Uh, they're not going to take your kids. Um, you get to keep a laptop and, uh, you get to keep what's in here. And I was like, all right, well, I'm okay with that. Like if that's the worst, that's the absolute worst. My mom would love to take me and my family back. She <laughs> wants me to live with her anyway. <laughs> you know what I mean? Forever. Yeah. So like what's, you know, and then we live in the United States. I think you can declare bankruptcy. I don't even know. Um, but that was the worst. So I once I came to terms with the worst, I'm like, well, okay, now let's try to do better than worse. And that's the tagline, Guy Bauer, better than worse. <laughs> um, and, and, and basically, once I came to terms with the worst that could happen, it gave me mental freedom to do whatever I wanted to try to resurrect and um, bring everything back. You um, you just made me realise something actually. Um, but actually, I'll may I? Um, I uh, so I've I I've had a different business trajectory to you, and I'd it's obviously got something to do with the fact that my grandfather owned businesses, and from a very young age, my my mother and father couldn't afford childcare and so on, so they used to just take me with them, right? And so I used to kind of get to see the mechanics of the family business from behind the scenes because my mum, you know, she'd be the, the daughter of the three, brother, three brothers and three sisters who would be sort of looking after back, back office and, 
you know, accounts and bookkeeping and all that sort of thing. And then when my dad eventually started his own business, then she was doing pretty much the same for him. So I was very much aware of, yes, you need to sell stuff, but then there is a cost associated with everything. So when I got out of the corporate world and I started my own business, um, I mean, I, you know, I think that's the other reason my wife is an accountant and, uh, uh, she says that I'm a great salesperson because I, I have spreadsheets. I run spreadsheets left, right and center. And I've also because I'm a control freak. So I, I need to know exactly where everything's at. Um, but when COVID hit and our business got shut down, I, I that was it. I was I was just knocked out and uh, I was on my butt for, you know, a good six, seven weeks um and i i really thought you know is is this it but um but what you just said there cuz i i've never been able to put my finger on exactly the reason why i then got up and got my head out of the proverbial and then started to say right what can we do let's innovate let's see people aren't buying smarter clothing now what are they wearing and so on and get myself into action and you you just hit it it was basically that i had been faced with the worst that can happen the possibility the very real possibility that i might not ever get to do what i love ever again although it took a few weeks for me to then suddenly become okay with it and stop panicking <laughs> Um, I think after maybe six or seven weeks, the sky hasn't fallen in and we hadn't lost the house and cash wasn't sort of draining out left, right and centre and so on. And I, I suddenly thought, ah, actually, no, you know, everything's OK. I'm still alive. So the worst thing hasn't happened yet. So thank you for that, because because um, that's really, yeah, just taught me something about myself. And you're absolutely right. But then you could have taken the bankruptcy option. Because as much as what you said about entrepreneurs is 100% right. I remember when we are the risk takers. I remember I was at a dinner party once and everybody around the table was a lawyer, barrister, um, sorry, attorney, um, accountant, you know, someone who's like super, super duper professional with a law degree and a master's and all of that sort of thing. And then there was me, like, you know, only... Um, it only really got to high school education because I flunked out of college after a couple of weeks and, um, uh, you know, running my own business with no safety net underneath me whatsoever. And all these people are obviously very secure in their jobs and so on. And um, I, I must have let it slip at some point that I was kind of feeling like I was in very, um, like I wasn't, I didn't feel worthy of being in their company and they all, every single one of them told me I was being so stupid because, you know, they said that I was the one that they were in awe of because um, they said, you know, we like you like you're a risk taker. You know, you've got all this freedom and you take risks every single day, um, whereas we went down the education path we did to get into jobs that would give us security because we're not risk takers. We, we fear failure. And I was like, oh, wow, I'd never actually thought of it that way. But sorry, anyway, so, God, I talk too much. Um, yeah, sorry. But, uh, <laughs> but, but you, 
Yeah, but you get the advisor guy in and he's like, right, declare bankruptcy. That's your easy option. And But you, you just didn't even, that wasn't even a conversation for you. Instinctively, you were just like, uh, no, you know, we're going to work out how we're going to fight back out of this. You know why? It's fun. <laughs> I mean, like on a macro scale, <clears throat> on a macro scale, if you were reading a book, and it's like, uh, uh, you know, Guy uh, walked into the office one day, you know, like if you're reading a book about your life, which is more exciting, declaring bankruptcy and whatever, or like trying to make a go for it and seeing what happens. To me, you know, I'm also living this life. And to me, it's more fun to try stuff. Yeah. It's very dumb. It's very dumb. It's not wise. And, and that's the... The same brain that allowed me to start a company off a $50 puppy video is the same brain that gets me in trouble in 2018, but it's the same brain that gets me out of it in 2019 and, and up till today. So it's like, you know, it's a double-edged sword. Um, and, uh, you know, and I think the, the goal is can you surround yourself with the right people so that you're only using the good edge of your sword and everyone else is yeah. is uh, is covering up for you, um, you know, and backing you up. And that's why I have a really awesome COO named Hope Morley, and she is essentially uh, the person I never had. I never had the the yin and yang, right? I always it was always yeah. just one flavor, and so now she balances the whole firm out and. I think the two of us combined make a really good team in, in making smart decisions that are brave. Uh, it's not that she's totally risk averse. It's that it's, she brings balance to the force. Um, yeah. And I think that's the goal of entrepreneurs. You know, if you're the odds of you being an entrepreneur that can just be balanced and self-regulated just by yourself to me are very low. And I used to think I could be that. And that was a mistake as well. Uh, so, because I think business books also try to teach you this. Um, but I think, you know, yeah. I just had to feel the pain. Um, but yeah, I think if you can find someone that you work well with that, you know, balances you out, I think that is the key to success. And you can see that, you can see that trend. One of my favorite companies is here in the States. You don't have it, but it's Southwest Airlines. And Herb Kelleher yeah. was an entrepreneur, I've, but I've then he Okay. It's my favorite business of all time. And I forget her last name, but her first name is Colleen. And he basically had her and they were a team always. And they balanced each other. And I think I see that trend throughout all successful businesses or most. Yeah. But, but rewinding a little bit. So you're, you find yourself a million dollars in the hole how do you dig yourself out because that's you know when my wife heard your story that's the question that she wants to know and i wouldn't i i just said to her i'm not telling you any more about this guy you'll have to wait until the episode goes out and then you'll find out so because <laughs> because she was trying to you know she's got a very analytical brain so she's just like so i you know she i said to her what are you thinking and she's like well 
She's like, he's he's a million dollars in debt. You know what it was? She heard our icebreaker call last week. Um, and she caught that end of the conversation. And she's just like, well, you know, he's a million dollars in debt. Anyone would have just declared bankruptcy. Predicted that one, right? Um, or that part of the conversation, at least. And then she's like, so to go from there to where he is now in such a short space of time, because we're only talking two and a half to three years, he's amazing. I think she'd actually be rather his sat in my seat than, than me, but anyway. <laughs> so what, um, okay. So you brought this up too. You mentioned this with your story about COVID, but there's this, you know, the movie Apollo 13 with Tom Hanks. And uh, the astronauts go up. Their mission is landing on the moon, landing on the moon. And the accident happens. And in their their minds were, well, we're still going to land on the moon. It's just going to be a little harder. Then a couple minutes go by and they go, I guess we're not landing on the moon. We'll just go back to Earth. And then a couple minutes go by and they're like, oh, we may not make it back to Earth. And what led... Apollo 13 to be a success is they didn't hang on to, they were able to accept their reality of we may not even make it back to earth instead of being complaining about not landing on the moon or doing things that would jeopardize their ability to survive to, to try to land on the moon. Meaning what I'm trying to say is the quicker they accepted their new reality that led to thinking of what can, you know, make them return. So the very first thing yeah. we did, and again, this is when Hope really showed her mettle, and I credit Hope with pulling us out of this, actually, is Hope and I took stock of what do we have? And it was like, not much, but let's accept the reality that we're in and, you know, let's let's keep this thing going and take stock of what we have. My metaphor yeah. of what we had was was back – if you go back in 2010, what led to we, – we had to figure out like what led to the explosive growth. And the way I see it is it was obviously the creative in my brain. It was the stuff from the seventh grade. And then it was all the contacts and the people that we knew. And that was an engine. And I think our engine was – very fast for the four-door sedan we had. So if the sedan is the overhead, the engine fit perfectly in that sedan and you can move around. What I think I did metaphorically was over the eight years from 2010 to 2018, I put a tank's worth of infrastructure. I assembled a tank, but I kept that same Porsche engine. So while the yeah. Porsche engine was high performing when it was just on a sedan, try to put, try to power a tank off of a Porsche engine. Even though a Porsche engine's amazing, it's not going to move that tank because the tank no. needs its own engine that's, you know, different. And also a tank needs different, it, it needs different people doing different roles who are actually specialized at what they do. Totally different. Uh, model, totally different like business model in a tank than a Porsche. So what we did was quickly get to the essence of like, what is our engine? And the engine was the creative. That was the creative. That was it from the start. It was not that 
were the best at making a video, were the best at, or were good at, uh, coming up with ideas for videos. That was the same thing I did in the seventh grade that I did in middle school and high school and, and, and what led to the puppy video and, and everything. Um, yeah. it's the idea. So what we did was pair it all back. It was like, and I don't want to downplay these layoffs. I mean, they were awful. We were laying off amazing people. Um, and, uh, but what we had to do was get rid of our tank and bring back the, the smaller car that we could drive because we still had an engine. We had an engine. We just yeah. had too much overhead. So we accepted our new reality. We had this beautiful office that we built out only two years prior that we had to sublease. We had to move from our beautiful posh office into a co-working space. We used to have a server rack room, and now we were sitting with the server in our little small shared office, six of us. It was 90 degrees. I'm sure we, you know, like, it was awful. <laughs> um, and yeah. there were a lot of those, like, swallowing your pride, eating humble pie moments um, that if you did not accept your new reality, your your my wanting of landing on the moon of maintaining face would have destroyed us. But it was like, no, I'll, I'll do whatever. And so we moved to co-working and we like paired everything back to the essence. And really we got to that engine very quickly and we are almost done paying off our, our debt from 2018. We're like within like this year, we're wow. going to be done by the end of this year, we're going to be done. Um, and I'm going to take my first profit distribution in 11 years. Cause I never took one. Wow. Uh, I'm going to take it later on this year. Maybe I'm, I'm on schedule to do that, but I think it was accepting our reality and getting that, getting the stuff off the engine so that the engine could power us. And when we took off all the stuff, the engine was still powerful. And actually what I would yeah. argue is the engine really wasn't used in a few years because when we got confused on what, where we were delivering value, we were bringing in the wrong things and doing the wrong things and not like matching our talents with the projects. So once we clarified of where our stuff was, I mean, it kind of took care of itself. And I think also having hope because there's so many th times I, I would have distracted us into something different or messing something up financially. I like buying stuff. Personally, I don't own a lot of things, but if it's for this craft, I am a... You know, I, I love buying stuff. There, we have a site called B&H here in the States, and I love buying stuff there. Um, she controlled that. She was like, no, she took away my credit card. So, again, the balance that Hope brought, we finally were able to kind of see our way out of this hole that we dug ourselves in. And by we, I mean me, yeah. uh, 100%. Wow. That was amazing. And now... So the, the, obviously the future is very different. Um, well, no, the future is not very different. The future is what it was going to be for you because you know you were, you were going to make it come what may. 
But um, in terms of the type of, has anything fundamentally changed in terms of the type of business that you're taking on, the type of clients that you're taking on, the type of projects, the size of projects that you're taking on? Have you have you kind of changed your criteria for who you work with and the types of projects you take on? Because I imagine like me, I mean, when I first started, it was like everybody, you know, everybody, anything, you just want to get business in. Um, and you don't realize until you've been through and learned a lot of tough lessons along the way that actually that's not the best strategy. You are 1000%, you know, very early on, I was saying yes to everything. And that's what got us in trouble. You know, I would say, yeah, uh, can you build us an AR app? Yes. And then figuring out how to build an AR app and then pulling people off their projects to help figure out and learn how to build an AR app. Yeah, or I would just say yes, yes, yes. And uh and and we were saying yes to so many um <laughs> low profit. I'm really sorry, uh, guy. Like I don't know what's going there's a cat in this neighborhood who is a bully. It's a huge cat. It has a bell around its collar. So it's obviously an asshole. And uh, my <laughs> both my I have a Bengal cat who is crazy. Like we was we were sold that she was like an F five, like a fifth generation down from the original. But she's feral as hell. Um, and uh, we have another cat, and then we have two dogs who you've just heard barking in the background. And listeners, I'm really sorry if I've not been able to edit that out. Um, but this cat comes around like clockwork at 10 to 9 every single night and just sits on our doorstep and it, it must just taunt the hell out of them and they go absolutely ballistic. So I'm really sorry for that. <laughs> Babe, can you, yeah, like tranquilize them. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> and <continue. I'll> <laughs> It's not the first time they've been on this podcast. Um, we're done now. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Originally, yeah, you say yes to everything, and then, um, and that was one of the things the uh, the consultant introduced me to was the ability to say no. And um, I remember in 2018, I started saying no, and it was so weird, um, you know, because people wanted to give me money, and the top line mentality, the top line thinking, gets you to say yes. Because you're just looking at the money. And I started, we started looking at other factors. Like, was the client nice? Did the client inherently like us? Or are we just convenient for them? Um, there were like all these factors. And, and the more we thought about it, and we were more like intentional on who we worked with, the more we realized that, um, yeah, some clients, not all clients are made equally. And, um, and, since 2018, we have definitely changed like who we'll work with and what we'll do, what we won't do. And what we found is the sing signal to noise ratio, just the amount of busy work and chaos in the company have gone down um, like tenfold since 2018. So yeah, basically 2018 was where like the train stopped and then we, we just did a hard reset of how we manage our finances and then who we work with. And so now in 2021, I, I mean, I, I have to pinch myself every now and then because we have 
rooted out all of that low profit busy work and only really work with clients who like us isn't that a weird thing you know yeah. usually as a as a service provider we're used to clients not liking us and you know and having to please the client and all this stuff and now and and like the idea of like of of a client wanting to work with you it was like, well, you have to convince them to want to work with you and, and prove yourself and all this stuff. And now, actually, we, we, we essentially only work with the clients who are fans of us, who, who get on the phone and they're like, wow, yeah. you know, your, your video really made me laugh. I would love to see if we could work together. And I'm like, great. You know, if you want the kind of work that we do, then we're a great fit for you. It's so weird. It's so weird. Um, but yeah, we say no to most now, which is, and I don't think I could have started. So to new business owners listening to this, I don't think you can start out that way. I think you have to earn your way into that, but you should definitely have a plan. You know, in the beginning, you just need cash, any kind of cash. Um, so you say yes, but I yeah. think, you know, you should have a plan for dialing back the yes and 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 if you do say yes, even just in your head, go, well, I know this client isn't a right fit client, but we need cash. So I'm going to say yes. Like as long as you just have that conversation with yourself, that's OK. What, what I would do is not fool yourself into just believing that everything is hunky dory by saying yes to everyone. Yeah, we you know, the, it's a lesson that I've been told or taught many times or reminded of many times like i know one of my clients is a management consultant and he sat down with me once and he you know blank sheet of paper drew a x and y axes and uh you know i think it was time or effort along the bottom and value along the top and so you kind of grade your customers that way that you know you've got your high effort low value customers and they're the ones that you do not want um, because they're the ones that actually cost you money um, and then you have your at the other end of the scale you have the complete opposite right you have your high value low effort and they're your dream customers um, make the most money for doing the least amount of work um, unfortunately those are few and far between um, so then you kind of find your middle ground which is kind of medium to high value anywhere from low to high effort. But when it gets into the high effort um, part of the matrix, they've got to be people that you really love working with. So essentially what he was saying is like, you go through this exercise and you plot out and all of your high effort, low value, go, like cut them off, get, get rid of them, chuck them off the boat because they are weighing you down. They are dragging you back and they find they are, as you quite rightly said, when you first start out, they're the people because you need cash as a business. They're the people that you just say yes to and you work for them. You might not like doing it, but you kind of feel like you need everybody. But then once you're established, then then they can actually become the people that are, are, are the, the, the things that are weighing you and your business down. Um, I still really struggle with letting people go because our business is so personal and because I love taking care of everybody. <laughs> um, but, um, 
but it's, it's something that I've, I've been working hard on. And in actual fact, you know, as much as I hate the whole COVID situation, this bloody pandemic, and I can't wait for it to all be over, um, the one good thing it has done is it's actually really helped me to suss out where, where our customer base is in that matrix and plot it out. Because basically, our raving fans are the people who actually stayed in touch with us and stayed engaged with us since March 2020. And a lot of the people who haven't stayed engaged with us in any way, shape or form, no matter how much outreach we've tried to do and so on, it's, it's like they're dead. Um, funny enough that you know which end of the matrix they go into. Um, so, so yeah, it's, uh, you know, I, th I think we're always learning in business and, and that is one of the oldest lessons that I still have not mastered yet. But certainly the last 18 months is, is helping me to get a grip on it. Yeah, it's like, it's not some kind of business hack to say no to people to make uh, this false, um, you know, uh, demand, right? It's not like some kind of mental trick or whatever that we're tricking clients. It's just truth. It's we only want the relationship to be mutually beneficial. And um, I think there's this whole thing that I got trapped in is is being the best in the world at everything in in saying yes to everything and and wanting every single client. Um, and that's just not possible. And it's also a great way to lose a lot of money. So I think, yeah. you know, the quicker you can get to the truth is and the truth is is what do you really do for clients what is the value you're giving them and who do you do it for meaning which clients typically like working with you the best and then there's your business strategy just go do that yeah and to find more of them basically go to the guys who love you and who you love and uh, ask them where can i find more people who are exactly like you. And I always, I mean, not always, now I do phrase the question when I ask for those referrals in exactly that way. because For two reasons. Number one, because it's very specific, because I, I want to know, Guy, who do you know who's exactly like you? Um, the second reason is I want you to know, and that reinforces the fact that I like you. I like doing business with you. I like hanging out with you. Therefore, anyone in you introduce me to, I want to be as similar to you as possible. And then that's how you start to build a client network of like-minded individuals. And the first step to all that is knowing who you are and like knowing what you do and what you really do. And and not just I do tailoring, but like what kind, right? And like, what's your style or like, what's the way you run the business? Um, how do you do it? It's not just what you do. A lot of people just define what they do by the Google search term, but it's so much more than that. It's like what you're really doing for people. And, and once you know yourself, it's don't be shy and bashful and don't be tentative. Uh, one of the disciplines I learned to do is to position is, um, you know, the, the, what we would do on our website is we would have shoe videos next to, um, 
air purifier videos next to cloud computing videos, just everything, because the logic was, well, we don't want anyone to think that we can't do their thing, right? So we have to yeah. show everything we can do because we don't want to turn anyone off. And wouldn't you know, that's the exact wrong thing to do. What you should do is tightly position yourself of what kind of exact work you do. And guess what? Uh, randoms will still come over. Like people outside that positioning will still ask you to work with them. Um, and so that's the thing is, is have courage to really position yourself. Yeah. Be specific. You know, one of my previous guests was a winner of MasterChef over here in the UK. And uh, he said the one thing he hates when he goes into a restaurant and they give him the menu is when he sees a menu with lots and lots and lots and lots of different things on it because it shows a lack of confidence and it, it, it makes it very hard for him to work out who they really are and what they're actually about. It's much better when you go into to an establishment and you're presented with a menu of services or food. <laughs> it's my favorite thing. Um, and the, the list is a little bit more concise because that shows confidence and it shows that you know who you are and what you're about. That's right. And it's so such a good feeling when we're on new business calls and clients say, we want, you know, X, Y, and Z. And I confidently say, you know what? We kind of stink at that. Because <laughs> who, why would you ever say that? You know, you're always trained, like, you can't say that. You always have to say how great you are. But it's so empowering just like saying, eh, honestly, we've done those projects in the past and our clients are always like let down. We're not really good at that. And the reaction you get is, wow, thank you. Like it's true appreciation, like that you didn't lie to them and said that, say yeah. that you were good at something you're not. I mean, why is that so novel? Why should that be outside the norm? Why are we trained that we have to just say yes to everything and just be great and great and great and just, you know, bend over backwards being something you're not. And so I think it's, it's empowering to say, this is what we do. If you like it, we welcome you to be our client and work with us. If you don't like it, we will refer you to someone who is more up your alley. That is so yeah. freeing to just say, man, we're not really good at that crazy yeah but in actual fact it's it's actually giving better customer service even even if even if you're turning that customer away it's better you know it's it's better service at the end of the day because you know you play that out you take someone on and you're doing something for them that you know you're not good at well you're not going to deliver a great product um, and that's just going to lead on to a whole stream of other problems. Um, and at the end of the day, it becomes a lose-lose situation. It's lose for the customer because they have a shit experience and they waste money and they waste time. And it's absolutely crap for the business owner because their reputation is potentially damaged and they're not having a great time through the whole process either. And I know that firsthand because I've been in that situation in the past. Thankfully, learned from it. <laughs> and that's basically what led, what totally exploded 
like an oversized pimple in 2018 is we had all wrong fit clients or not all, but so many wrong fit clients doing the wrong type of projects with our agency who was the wrong agency for those projects. And it was just upset clients. And guess what? Upset team members because Mm -hmm. they're doing something that they don't want to do with their life. Right. And so it's just a spiral of terribleness all around when, when at the very start of the relationship, if one person isn't totally truthful, right. And I'm to blame because I just wanted to win at any cost. And so it's, yeah, we're good at that. Yeah, we'll do that right away. Yeah, we, in a day? You want it done in a day? Sure, yeah. And and just like, yes, yes, yes. Oh, 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 what else? Oh, now you want to totally change the project? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. We'll do that too. And drive my people crazy and then drive the accountant crazy because there's no money. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, totally. You... um. You've just recently taken a, I mean, speaking of new clients and projects, you've just recently taken on something that's going to bring you to London pretty soon, right? Yeah, I can't say who I'm working with, but um, yeah, I'll be uh, my first time in London, my first project uh, in London. So we're definitely going to meet up. Oh, yeah, that one, that was going to be my next question. Um, So um, you've never been to London before? No, sir. Okay, we're definitely meeting up. We have to. Um, yeah, absolutely. Oh my god, this is so exciting. <laughs> um, it, it's got to be the Saturday I come in. That's the time, and that's those. That's the day I have to stay up. Um, so, okay. Uh, yeah, that's fine. We, that that can be that can be arranged. Don't worry. <laughs> we'll find any number of a hundred ways to keep you awake. Um, but yeah, we'll talk about that. We'll talk, we'll talk about that offline. Um, you wrote a book, which I mentioned in the intro. Um, was that something that came out of um, kind of the ups and downs that you you went through a few short years ago, or is that something that had been in existence previously? I tried to download it the other day, but Kindle was just not having a good time. So I'm just going to order the um, hard copy. Um, the, the book was uh, written, I believe in 2019. And the whole point was to write my treatise or like the point of view for our agency going forward. And right. essentially it's the first eight years um, doing it, seeing all the ways and all the things that could go wrong. Um, and, and I was done with it. Um, I was done with making quote unquote corporate videos called the book death to the corporate video. So it's, it's basically a handbook on what not to do and how to make something that people actually like. Um, and, What's funny is everything that's in that book still, um, like we reference daily in our agency. And the other thing that I really like about it is once you put something on pen and paper, um, you can't go back on it. So there's things I say in the book that's in print and 
there's so many times since I wrote the book where it would be easy for me to to violate my own rule and make a quick buck. But since it's in print, you know, like you can't do it with integrity. So I it, it forces yeah. great future decision making writing your point of view in a book. Um, so I've had to like live up to what I said, you know, two years ago. Sometimes I'm mad at myself of the past, but it, overall it, it was the right thing to do. Yeah. It's, it, it was a good coder to get down in uh, on paper and ink and keep you honest. Yeah. People keep telling me I should write a book, but you should. Um, you have a ton of great insight. Yeah, this is true. But again, it, nothing's original, right? It goes back to your point that, you know, there, there are no hacks in business. There are no hacks in life. It's these are time honored um, tropes that, you know, most of us instinctively and inherently know. Like, you know, when you're doing something, you shouldn't. It's just we don't listen to our instincts as often as we should. Um, and so, you know, my insight is basically just all the stuff that I've picked up over the years from people who are far more successful and far smarter than I am. I've just been smart enough to 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 read and pay attention. I was going to say that you could say that about any book that's actually written on that sort of stuff. Correctly. It, correct. It's the integration and the synthesization or synthesizing. It's the integration and synthesizing of all that and all your personal experiences that leads up to your point of view. So while there's nothing new on the planet, there's also there are new combinations um, that I think are valuable. And, you know, about business books, I think the biggest thing with business books I'm speaking as a reader of business books is take it all with a grain of salt because that's what worked for those people. It may not work for you. You know, they're just writing from their single point of view. They haven't vetted, you know, the 10,000 other things they could have done when they're explaining their mm -hmm. business turnaround, for example, or whatever, right? They're just showing you what worked for them. And also they may falsely attribute things, right? Meaning they think, well, we got out of this because I made the decision to buy this piece of equipment. And they may give that decision 99% of the credit, but really the credit uh, is all luck that uh, they got a lucky deal. So that's the other thing is it the the business books are inherently biased and skewed in terms of where they're giving credit and to and who they're not giving credit to. You know what I mean? So that's why the business yeah. books, they could, you know, they, you got to watch out who you're listening to and paying attention to and take it with a grain of salt. Yeah. I think that's why I like apps like Blinkist because, you know, in 15 minutes you can actually get the content that you you know, would have extracted anyway, uh, having spent five hours reading a book instead. And then obviously, if it's something that really strikes a chord with you, then you can go seek the book out and read the full thing. Um, but, uh, you know, very often, I've, I mean, I've got a huge library of books, I'm sure you're the same. And uh, I could probably just stick a post-it note on the spine of each one of them with maybe the one or two key lessons that I got out of them. Um, because a, a lot of the stuff in between is, 
you know, waffle. Um, so yeah, good. <laughs> um, if you had to define your perfect client or if you, if I was gonna, if I, right, so, you know, we're in the Wild West and you are the um, sheriff who is looking for someone. Um, how would you have me draw up the wanted poster of your ideal client? That was a really crap way of describing the question I wanted to ask. But yeah. But you know where I got the idea from? So when, when pubs reopened just after the pandemic, there was this pub in Chelsea that um, had a, a blackboard outside and they basically kind of chalked onto it in the old-fashioned Wild West kind of wanted post, poster kind of style of thing. And, uh, and it was like wanted customers who have been missing since like March 2020. And then they had like a profile of, of the customer, must like really good food, must like uh, locally brewed uh, beer, must like, you know, the finest wines. And I was like, that's such a great idea. It's like, you know, create every business should create their own wanted poster. And that wanted poster should be, you know, wanted clients, and then the description of those clients. Sorry, over to you. No, no, no. Um, that's a great exercise. I think um, our ideal client is a marketer inside of a B2B company, uh, mm -hmm. mid-market, upper mid-market. That's kind of where we operate the best. Um, typically, they are working um, – well, what I would say is this, is that they are looking – to do something different. Uh, they want to make a splash. They um, are kind of sick of the status quo of the stuff they've been doing, of the stuff their agency is generating or, or their internal teams, and they just want to kind of blow up the log jam. Um, so our ideal client has a built-in chip on their shoulder or uh, <laughs> the the – wanting to take a risk and be bold. And that would be the number one criteria that we look at is, is, you know, are we looking to play it safe here or make a dent and, you know, and do something cool. Um, but yeah. I would say, you know, we really like working with B2B brands that have complicated messaging, complex products like supply chain or AI or machine learning or complicated financial th products. Um, so it's got to have a thing where, cause those, those are the stories that's hard, that are hard to tell. You know, a lot of people, you know, I wish sometimes that we were just making sneaker ads and, um, you know, stuff about clothing. I, I always, and I, and, and I'm smart enough to realize that now the grass isn't greener on the other side, that that stuff's even more competitive and hard to tell. But anyway, yeah. you know, this, it, it, we, we really specialize in the kind of complex and, um, hard to explain in a succinct manner topics. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I think, um, anyone who's listening, that fits that description, by the way. Um, anyone who's listening, uh, I'm sure would have got so much out of today's conversation and I wish we could talk for longer. Um, and hopefully we can get together again 
obviously we're meeting up in person later this month, but hopefully you'll come back on the show again because I, I think there's so much more that we could cover tonight, but I've had one of those days where literally I, I need to go spend time with family and that sort of thing, and I'm sure you do too. Um, aside from your website, which, by the way, listeners, is www.umult.com, spell U-M for Mike, A-U-L-T.com, uh, where else can people see your work, Guy? I mean, that's really it. Um, and uh, we're on Instagram and LinkedIn, uh, Facebook, all under Umalt. Um, but yeah, the website's really the best place. Fantastic. And um, I will, I'm going to have a link to all of Guy's uh, social media, website, etc., etc., and also a link to the book as well, um, so that if you guys are all interested, in how not to do um, corporate video, um, then uh, you can go pick up a copy of that. Um, So yeah, I wanna just say thank you so much for joining me this evening. Um, It's been an absolute blast. I can't wait to see you in person. So we will get all of that worked out and um, I will try and plan um, some interesting things to do to actually keep you awake uh, the night that you fly in or day that you fly in. Um, yeah, have you had fun? Bob, this is one of the best podcasts I've ever been on, so it was my truly <laughs> my pleasure being on your show. Thank you. Oh, thank you so much. Like, I'm, I love doing this, but also I love it even more when I make a new friend, and I feel like I've done that with you. So thank you so, so much, really. It was my pleasure. Thank you. Awesome. I will see you soon. Take care. Thank you. Good night. Wow. What a story. Um, Thank you so much for joining Guy and I, and I hope especially for you budding entrepreneurs out there, or even those of you who are already running your own businesses, that you managed to learn a few things through that conversation and hopefully were inspired. Um, I want to say a massive thank you to Guy for giving up time to join me and uh, recording this outro today on Saturday the 21st of August. And I'm looking forward to seeing Guy later on this evening. I gave him the option of uh, dinner uh, at a good old-fashioned meat and potatoes kind of place or good old-fashioned British fish and chips and he chose fish and chips for his first dinner ever in London. Um, so we're, we're going to take him to the seashell in Listen Grove in NW1, which is one of our favourite places. Highly recommended. If you're ever in the area, go check it out. Um, again... Whether you're a new or a regular listener, thank you once again. Make sure you hit that subscribe button so you don't miss an episode. And it would be amazing if you'd give me some feedback in the form of a review. As well as telling me what you like about the show and what you'd like to see in future episodes, it also helps with those podcast algorithms and brings new listeners to the show. Before I go... I'd like to give a couple of shout outs. Firstly, to the entertainment podcast Play Paul's Turn, featuring myself, 
John Evans, Alex Hansford, Amy Hansford and Mark Holmes. We get together every fortnight or so to discuss the latest things we've watched, played and read. Also to the Background Dancer podcast hosted by my friend Jason Yap, who was also my guest in episode 14. Jason is a professional dancer and producer on a mission to shine a light on the aspects of the dance industry that are normally kept in the shadows. A big part of his show is nurturing the spirit of dance entrepreneurship and ensuring performing artists are equipped for a life beyond performance. If you're interested in the arts and business, this is a podcast you will really enjoy. That's it from me. Whatever you get up to over the coming days, as ever, have lots of fun, keep safe and stay well, and I'll see you on the next one.